0: Welcome to week two of the Verified Series podcast, where we dive deeper into the content from Sunday's message. This week, we have Aaron Hickson, our Henrietta campus pastor joining us. Thanks for being here, Aaron. Let's do it. My name is Josh, and this is the Verified Series podcast. So Aaron, before we jump in, let's talk about you for a second. A little less than three months ago, you had your second child, Lincoln. Well, you didn't have it. Lauren had That's your second a good child. Clarification. Lincoln. Good clarification.
1: Um, good clarification.
0: With a few months behind you now, what's the difference between being a father of one child and a
1: father of two children? Father of two children. Okay. Um, honestly, I would say that the biggest difference is that there's a lot more diapers. That's definitely a thing. And there's also a lot of us, Lauren and I, repeatedly just asking each other, why did we think one kid was hard? Because like at the moment, Lincoln just like sits around and sleeps all the time. And we're like, I feel like this used to stress us out so badly. And now two of them is hard and one seems like it should have been easy. But oh, well, here we go.
0: We always joke that one was actually the hardest transition. Going from no kids to some kids is a lot. And then from there, it's just figuring out the, the best strategy for coverage on the field.
1: So. <laughs> exactly. We, we're man to man right now. So we're figuring it out.
0: <laughs> so Aaron, in your message on First John chapter 2, you really focused in on verses 3 to 5 and 15 to 17. And as you unpack the text, and as even I read it, I noticed a couple things that I hope you can dig into a little bit for me. Sounds good. The first that struck me was the fact that the passage mentions the world six times. And it's really harsh about the world. Um, Don't love the world or anything in it. If you love the world, the love for the Father isn't in you, the world and its desires are going to pass away, and you essentially define the world as anything in opposition to God, whether it's our society, our planet, humanity, all at its worst, all impacted by sin. Right, yeah. And yet I think of other passages that talk a little bit differently about the world. So in John 3, 16, a lot of people are familiar with this passage, God's love for the world drove him to send his son to die. And it even goes on in verse 17 to say that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. So why does the Bible have two different definitions of the world and how do we reconcile these two opposite views?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And I, man, that's a really good observation. I feel like, I, you know, that's what this podcast is for, is to be able to cover things that we obviously don't even have, we would never have time to, to adequately cover everything. So I just want to give a quick kind of overview of the use of the word world. John, throughout his writing, uses this, this word quite a bit. It's actually kind of a theme in his writings. If you were to read the fourth gospel of John, as well as first, second, third John, or even the book of Revelation, you're going to find this word pop up. So it's kind of a common thing. Let me just give you you a few examples of it um, in John chapter 1 verse 10 so this is the Gospel of John 110 it says he was in the world that's Jesus and through the world and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him so this is John talking about how Jesus created the world and how yet when he came into the world the world didn't recognize him then in John 3:16 as you already mentioned God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son another example from the Gospel of John is in John chapter 17 um, and Jesus is Talking, He's actually praying to the Father, and he's praying about his disciples, and he says, "...but I say these things while I am still in the world, and he says that I have given them, his disciples, your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world." And my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So those are all examples from the gospel of John. And then there's one other in 1 John 2. This is the one uh, from my sermon on Sunday that that I really highlighted, which was, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in them. That that whole thing. So that's just four examples of when John uses the same exact word. It's world in English. It's um, a Greek word, th- Uh, ha cosmos. If you're into such things, it's the word cosmos. Um, And by the way, just as a side note, I came up with these references and there's lots of others of his use of this word. I just went onto a website that's free called Blue Letter Bible. And I literally took 30 seconds to search this word in just John's writings in the New Testament, and all of these results came up. So this link is super easy to access, and anybody could do this search on their own. This is not like an advanced level search for anyone to do.
0: And that's an incredible tool. We'll include that link in the show notes for our listeners to be able to to click and use that as well.
1: Perfect. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, but basically, the word just means um, an orderly arrangement of something, something that has been set in order. That's what cosmos really means. That's where we get, um, you know, this idea of a cosmopolitan area, like an orderly city or even like a reference to the, the, sometimes we even say the cosmos, people will say the cosmos, meaning the universe, that kind of a thing. So, um, it just means the sum of everything that's ever been made, the created order. And don't, don't think planet, because remember, this is the first century. Nobody in the first century even knew that we were living on something called a planet. They wouldn't have known (laughs) that kind of a thing, but just everything that you can see or experience or hear with your senses, that's what cosmos kind of means in, in and of itself. Um, but it, it can mean more than that. It can mean specifically people. It can also mean culture or society. It has a lot of different meanings just kind of on its face. Um, but the situation or the context in which it's used determines what do we precisely mean when we use that word or what did this author mean in this context in the Bible? Um, in fact, I just, again, I did a quick Google search and this is the kind of thing that I just love that anybody could do. I found with a, a trusted resource on Google um, and I, I searched the use of the term cosmos and Johannine literature, which is a very seminary well, phrase. That's, that's obvious to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, you might find these articles helpful. I got a couple of them that I think, again, if we can you know make these available in the show notes or whatever, if you really want to go into John's use of these terms, I've got you know a couple articles that might be helpful to you that go way more in depth with people that are, ridiculously smart and, and much more knowledgeable than I am. So yeah, anyway, there's there's some articles that could be helpful just so that you don't think I'm making this stuff up. But in general, the, the range of meanings... Um that any word has is always determined by the context in which it's used. So that's and it's really not even that unusual. That's true of any word. We we always want in the Bible context to determine what this word means in any given case. So um, what we're looking for in this case with the word world in the in the Gospel of John or in 1 John, it's not what does this word mean to me in 2019. Um, I'm not even necessarily looking for what it means in another passage. That's a good starting place, but I I want every passage to kind of speak for itself. What matters most is always, what does this author mean in this context? And so how do I define the word because of those factors?
0: And this isn't an exercise just because the Bible is like being overly complicated or overly difficult. Right. right. This is something we do in language every single day, in every language, including ours today. It's just a normal part of speech to let the context of the words we use define the words that we're using for people. Yeah. So a great example I love to use is I love tacos. I love my kids. And I love my wife, and we <laughs> know I'm that that's so true of you. My love for all three of those is distinct and unique for each of those three, based on context. In fact, I really hope you don't assume that I love tacos the way that I love my wife, or things get really <laughs> awkward really fast. But this is a oh natural way goodness. of talking that context defines the words we use.
1: Yes, that's so true, and I know that Heather very much appreciates that you don't <laughs> love her like you love tacos. <laughs> Um, but let's just go over the, some of those examples that I gave from earlier. Let's, let's pick those verses that I went through and let's just talk about what does he mean by world in each of those contexts. So first in John 1, 10, what does he define the world as? This is the verse that says he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Well, I would say it seems to have multiple meanings. If you want to, you know, maybe if you're driving or whatever, don't pull up your Bible, but if you're, if you're listening, maybe you can do that. Pull up a Bible and look at John one ten to kind of follow along. You'll see. He, he means multiple things actually by this word. He said that Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him. Well, both of those are examples of like kind of the universe or the planet or the physical thing that we're living on. Jesus was in the world and he had also had made this thing we call the world. But then he also says that the world did not recognize him. So that's not talking about the plants and the sky and the water anymore. He's talking about the people or the worldview or the system. They, those people didn't recognize Jesus for what he was. So it's almost like John's got a little bit of wordplay going on in this verse. How about John 3.16? What does he define the world as? That says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Well, the verse goes on and says that whoever believes in him shall not perish. So God loves the world and then anyone who believes. So the world in this case apparently is defined as people. Right, because these those are the things that can believe. Plants aren't believing in Jesus, so we're talking about people there. Um, How about John seventeen? This is Jesus's prayer um, when he's praying for his disciples. He says he's multiple times says that he's in the world, that his disciples are in the world. That literally means they're on the planet, and we talked about this specifically on Sunday. Um, But he says that they are not of the world any more than he was of the world, and this of the world idea is more about. they are physically on the planet, but they are not, they're not obsessed with what the world is obsessed with. They're not uh, taken or smitten with what our world is taken or submitten with. So, even there, again, there's multiple meanings. He's doing a little bit of wordplay, um, a little bit of world play, if you will. That's a really bad <laughs> pun. Okay. You are a dad. Yes, <laughs> correct. My dad jokes are on point. But, um, so, anyway, though, the, the, multiple meanings in each of these passages. So if we finally get around to 1 John chapter 2, our passage from this week, what could he mean by 1 John 2? He, I think what we need to do is just let this passage, this context define what it means. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world for everything that comes from the world. Okay, so we're about to get a definition from him. What does he define as everything that comes from the world? He says it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So he's labeling everything that comes from the world as these categories of pleasure, possessions, and position, which is what we talked about as our three weaknesses on Sunday. So clearly we know that he means something other than the planet, like the physical water, plants, sky, whatever. He's also not talking really about people because he's talking about those three things specifically, pleasure, possessions, and positions. So he has set this precedent throughout his writing. He uses this word to mean a variety of things. And we start with that mentality. We know it could mean something other than just the definition, you know, an orderly set of things. So it could mean the planet, could mean people, could mean a system. And then we use John's words in this context to help us come to the conclusion that this is, he's not telling us to hate people. That would be a completely wrong thing to take from 1 John 2, 15 through 17. He's saying we have to hate the system that our world operates by, namely being obsessed with pleasure, possessions, and position. If we are obsessed with those things, then we're in love with the world. And we can't say that we love God if we love the things that are ultimately opposed to God. Um, We need to be people who are about loving what lasts, not being obsessed with this stuff that's just about here and now. That's not about eternity. That's not about pleasing God.
0: Super helpful to hear you unpack it that way, Aaron. That's very um, intuitive now that we look at it from the outside like that. Another line that's problematic for me is this one, the world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Not going to lie, I'm very interested in living forever. <laughs> <Who but isn't? laughs> what is this will of God thing? I think that can be a very overwhelming or mysterious phrase. How do I figure out what that is? Where do I find out? Uh, the will of God, as it talks about in this passage.
1: Yeah, and so that's, again, that's First John 2.17. That was the verses we focused in on, but we really didn't spend a lot of time on this idea on Sunday. So um, thanks for bringing this up, and this is a really, it's a really good question. And my answer to it would honestly be very similar to my answer to the last question, and that's, we're going to let context win. We're going to let John speak for himself, for what he means by the will of God. So a couple ways we could do that, we could search you know, the will of God in John's writings or something we could go really big picture. Or in this case, I think probably what's best is just to say, what has, what has John already defined kind of in this section as a whole, or maybe in this letter that seems to define what God wants? What, what is God's will? Well, remember the start of this chapter in 1 John 2, he said that if we want to know that we belong to Jesus, then we need to live as Jesus lived and and he says right after that that this is not a new command this is an old command remember we said that this ain't new this is this is an old thing that they've been following this command of following after Jesus since Jesus was here and um so so what is it what was the old command that they had always been living by that everybody knew if you're going to follow Jesus you got to do this thing that Jesus wants you to do well later in this same letter 1 John um in this case in chapter 3 verse 11 it explicitly says what Jesus' command had always been, that they had always been living by, which was that they needed to love one another. So in other words, John himself defines, you need to live as Jesus lived, we need to do the will of God. And then in the next chapter, he specifically says what that is, which is to love one another. So the will of God, I think in this case, is just doing what the rest of the letter says. It's loving others. It's obeying Jesus. It's don't get caught up in the world system. Um, All the things that we're going to be hearing about through the rest of this verified series. Context shows us what John means by doing the will of God. Um, And I think just in general, this is a great principle to keep in mind. When you're looking for context, you want to start with the details, like what's true in this sentence, in this grammar here in the paragraph and the chapter as a whole. Um, I mentioned in the sermon why I love a good outline because it helps me make sure I know where I am in the flow of thought, whether it's in this book or this letter, or even in this specific sentence of the paragraph. So an outline can help you do that, which any good study Bible or even a quick Google search can produce for you. Um, so you start in the details and then you zoom out. Like, how does this author use this word in other contexts? Or how does this author talk about this same issue somewhere else? Or does a different author talk about this same word or this issue somewhere? Um, you need to be careful at some level, we don't want to assume just because I found a word in one verse doesn't mean it means the same thing in another verse. We always want to let that author speak for themselves in that specific context, but that can be a helpful thing is what do other authors say. And then we want to zoom out all the way. Like what else does the Bible have to say that is super clear that once I know that, it can help me put this thought into the context of the Bible as a whole. That's just, you know, anytime you've got a tough question about the Bible, that's just a good idea. Start with details and then zoom out to things that you know to be true about the Bible as a whole and kind of work your way back in
0: makes the Bible more accessible. The information is there. Sometimes we need to look before, look after, zoom out and look at what's right in front of us instead of assuming it's harder than it really is.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And I just think we need to use the same interpretive lens we might use on any book that we we let each author speak for themselves as we're reading. We want to do our best to, to interpret like any other piece of literature and, and use good interpretive skills in that way. That's
0: great. Thanks so much, Aaron. I appreciate it. We hope you learned something new today. If anything we discussed today sparked a question, we'd love to hear from you. You can find a link in the show notes where you can submit your questions. And if you missed this week's message or would like to learn more, you can head over to NorthridgeRochester.com. Join us next week when we sit down with Mark Nelson again for week three of this series. My name is Josh and thanks for listening to the Verified Series podcast.